People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. You're listening to Fine Music Radio and this is Rodney Trudgeon inviting you to this week's edition of People of Note. And we're going to be talking orchestras today, more specifically the Cape Town Philharmonic. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the background. Founded by the Cape Town City Council as the Cape Town Municipal Orchestra, the CPO held its inaugural concert in February 1914 at the Cape Town City Hall. The orchestra and its predecessors soon established a reputation both nationally and internationally with concerts and tours throughout South Africa, the UK, Taiwan, the Canary Islands and the United States. And apart from regular symphony concerts, the Cape Town Philharmonic Orchestra, as it's known today, regularly accompanies Cape Town Opera, the Cape Town City Ballet, musicals, pop community family and crossover concerts, presenting something like 120 concerts per annum or more. In traditional venues like the City Hall, Artscape Opera, Kirsten Bosch and Niederberg Wine Estates, all sorts of things. So it is undoubtedly, I think we can say, not only the oldest, but the most busy orchestra in South Africa. I have in the studio with me this week the CEO and Artistic Director of the Orchestra, Louis Heinemann. And Louis, welcome and congratulations. I believe you've been asked to stay on beyond your retirement date. Hello, Rodney. It's always nice to talk to you. Yes, I will stay a little bit on. I always knew that we will survive through COVID, uh, miraculously so. Uh, But I also understood that with donor fatigue and uh, things changing and patterns changing, it would take a while for us to really be totally normal again. And I I think it's important for me to to just make sure that the orchestra is again on a a secure footing. But, Louis, it was very much... Thanks to you that the orchestra survived COVID, which was an awful period for everyone in the arts, especially. But um, an orchestra is not a, it's an expensive prop machine, isn't it? So somehow you survived. Yes, it's labor intensive. And mm. We couldn't say, well, just work from home and do nothing. We, <laughs> we, we couldn't play in front of audiences. And as you remember, for a long time, there couldn't be more than 50 people in, in a venue. That's right. Which means if you had um, uh, 50 people on stage, that was the limit. And so mm. we, we, in those early days, we recorded um, most of our recordings are streamed it live, but you know, it, it's not a big business. You can't same. really, it's not the same. Mm. We have wonderful uh, archive of wonderful recordings, I'm sure, video as a of streamed it, yeah. yes. <laughs> but uh, it was difficult days, and but I must say, all my colleagues accepted a third uh, cut of, on, of their salaries. Mm-hmm. We cut down a 32 million rand per annum budget to 20 in that first year, 19 and a half. That was a miracle already. It's a huge amount of money. A huge amount of money. And we were quite busy and quite, we we did concerts and Mm -hmm. not um, uh, on on the same scale. Initially in that that first uh, couple of months where it was very restricted, I mean, you only could go go and buy some groceries and nothing else, we recorded from home on our cell phones and and stitched it electronically together. So it was a very exciting time, uh, but a new, 
uncharted waters for us. But mm-hmm. but we survived, and later then we thought uh, after a couple of months, oh, it will be over, and it wasn't over. And then after the first year, we planned a whole new concert series, and we knew that the, we might not have all the overseas visitors, and we thought, oh, give the local soloists a chance, and we did that, but then we still couldn't open. We had to play for a, a, a venue of 50 people. Now, mm. Opera did the same, and they played a whole short opera series, that first series of um, of uh, the pearl fishers. They could have, in a 1,500-seater here at Artscape, they could have 50 people, it seems which is ridiculous. ridiculous. You can't make money, but we survived financially, just about. But I always understood that the real survival is only now because obviously we used our nest eggs and everything that we saved. And, mm. and now that there's a bit of a donor fatigue and um, also uh, there's such a lot of pressure on on the national treasury, uh, there's not money coming forward from uh, the state or from uh, from the city or the or the province that we thought so, and and big corporations. Obviously, there's a lot of other needs, so mm-hmm. we understand that. But uh, uh, so we uh, you're strangely confident, Louis, which is I, which is good. But you, after 23 <laughs> years in this job, have you been? Right? That was one of my questions. How long have you been CEO of the Cape Town Philharmonic? Since December 20. 2000, um, when we actually start, restarted a streamlined orchestra. You see, mm-hmm. we are 47 permanent players and, of course, the supporting staff with salaries and, and retirement annuities and pensions. And then we have about 50 to 100 professional players in Cape Town who either they're teaching at the university, they're good musicians, but... They can uh, help us out as ad hoc players whenever we do a big romantic symphony. We mm. need sort of uh, 40 strings. So we, we hire them in the extra people. Uh, and that's the only model that can work. The reason why the previous orchestras either had to amalgamate or or they were just went out of, out of business is because they were too big and too cumbersome to survive mm-hmm. in, in, in this modern age. So, Louis, at the moment is the... Number still 47, uh, permanent, permanent paid members yes, yeah. of the orchestra. And when we do see the bigger orchestra, mm-hmm. like a couple yeah. of weeks ago with Tchaikovsky's Second Symphony, there are players brought in for that. Yes, we, we have regular players and mm-hmm. we have a, a list. Uh, I dare not say there's a pecking order, but we know who's reliable yes, and who we can bring. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, if, 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 a, if a, a Wagner asks for eight Wagner tubers, you know, we, <laughs> it's difficult to find four extra horn players. And sometimes, you know, if there's two harps, and we can talk a little bit about that later, that the depth of professional musicians in any city is extremely important Mm -hmm. to keep the tradition alive. And remember those awful days when the concerts happened with those perspect cages around the conductor and the players? I'm actually very proud of that because we designed it. I saw a picture on the Internet of a Spanish orchestra behind these cages, obviously designed by somebody. And Mm -hmm. I, I went to two of the orchestra players and I said, Let's buy just some pers- perspex and we design something. <laughs> and they got it together. F- f- uh, uh, our principal horn player and our concert master got it together in their garage and they designed these perspex uh, uh, shields 
that yes. we put around the players, and that plus the masks helped us through the whole COVID. <laughs> but the poor old conductor having to stand there because the sound would have been somehow diffused, yes. wouldn't it? I mean, the symphony orchestra's sound is unique because people sit close to each other mm-hmm. and they're used to the person next, your your, your desk partner. You, you tune, if you play the, a string instrument, you tune with your one ear, you listen to yourself, and there's a lot of noise in the, in the room, but you listen to yourself first yes. and then to the person next to you and you tune. But now if you sit far further apart or there's a screen between you and the, and, and the wind uh, section or the brass section, uh, somehow it takes a long time for the, for the sound uh, to travel over those barriers. The poor uh, conductor complained all the time that I, I hear delayed sounds. Yes, and, and yet yeah, in the yeah. city hall we managed it. Also, we were quite sort of spread over you were. Uh, up, mm-hmm. up to the organ. So it was a big challenge. Um, Louis, I want to talk to you about apparently quite an important thing, and that's sustainability. But let's take a music break, first of all. And I think we are, we have decided, haven't we, that we're going to feature our orchestra, the Cape Town Philharmonic. So what is your first piece that we're going uh, to listen to? Oh, lucky me that we choose only music from, from the course. orchestra. I have no a, question. I have a Catholic taste, so I, I love everything, different kinds of music and lots of different genres. But over the last 23 years, uh, the orchestra and the music produced by the orchestra is my main passion. Mm-hmm. So I'm very lucky that we've chosen a few pieces for this program. Uh, from recent recordings and um, the first one I would like to choose is uh, the Rachmaninoff Third Piano Concerto which we did on the 22nd of June with that wonderful Russian pianist Dmitry Shishkin and um, obviously we will have to fade a bit of the music out and I've chosen a bit of the last movement because I sat there and even during the dress rehearsal I sat right in front of the orchestra uh, of the the piano and with my my cell phone trying to to get a bit of a video for our social media and I was right there under his fingers under his armpit so to speak (laughs) and on that distance to notice the detail of his playing, the, you know, the the extra bit of 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 uh, his, his the clarity, mm-hmm. the um, the inner melodies. Yes. He uses doesn't use a lot of uh, uh, pedal, mm-hmm. so it's it's just amazing. And also to see how, what he can do right in front of your eyes, and I think that brings the excitement into classical music. So, uh, uh, and I'm a great fan of of the piano, being pianist myself in my younger days. So this choice is was a natural <laughs> choice over the last. It was so exciting, but I, I mean, the, everybody agreed. Everybody was. F- Flying ten ten feet in the air was, after that concert, they were on a cloud. Yeah.
Well, that was live in the Cape Town City Hall, the Cape Town Philharmonic, and the pianist Daniel Shishkin in part of the exciting third movement of Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto Number no. 3. And we're talking about the Cape Town Philharmonic. In fact, we're talking about orchestras. And my guest is Louis Heinemann, who is the CEO and Artistic Director of the Cape Town Philharmonic. And I mentioned, um, Louis, sustainability. And this must be one of your big headaches, for want of a better word. Or is it not a headache? But it's so important. Oh, it's a headache, (laughs) for sure. Um, It's not a given for a city like Cape Town at the southern tip of Africa to have a, a full-time working orchestra. The scenery has changed quite a lot in the last couple of years in South Africa. It's always been difficult to, to run an orchestra because mm-hmm. it's labor-intensive, and you can say, well, do we need an orchestra? It's, uh, uh, it's white, it's Eurocentric, but it's not anymore by far. I mean, yeah, as you know, as we can see. recently we had the variety gala, as we call it, mm-hmm. here in, in Artscape, and we had a lot of uh, interesting uh, people from different genres performing with the orchestra. And I was amazed to hear the, uh, how the orchestra can, can change and, and suddenly become some, a totally different animal. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one guy, Mandisi Diantis, who is a black uh, singer with, with a trumpet. And he walked into the stage. I didn't know him, but my advisors told me that we can do something with him. And as he walked into the stage, the whole audience started shouting and screaming <laughs> for about a minute. The poor guy couldn't sing. Um, and uh, it was so exciting for them to hear he's going to sing with the symphony orchestra. Mm-hmm. And it gives context to that we're not by far not uh, 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 anymore a Eurocentric white orchestra in the context of Africa. But as I've said, the things have changed uh, over the last couple of years, and the funding model of orchestras have changed, and that is something quite dramatic, and that's perhaps my biggest headache. And I've been working behind the scenes because we didn't want to start complaining in public uh, about uh, the funding model because then people will say, um, oh, you you just there, there must be transformation and, and you're just against transformation. So we did it behind the scenes with the politicians and with everybody. With and you meeting with the politicians. Yes, and, so. and working really hard behind the scenes for the last year. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. So recently I, I sort of addressed the elephant in the room uh, that this new funding model is not sustainable. You know, even in, in, in the evil Russia, which is under a sort of autocratic uh, regime, or in China, where we have a lot of criticism about their politics, there are more piano students in China than anywhere per capita than mm-hmm. anywhere else in the world. Oh, so yeah. uh, one shouldn't... It, it's a, There's a fine line about... Uh, between sort of uh, politics and and the politi- politics of music, because uh, we in the business of breaking down social barriers and stereotypes, uh, it's very important that we've seen uh, that there's social cohesion in the new South Africa, and that we we part of that bridge building between cultures, rich and poor, because mm-hmm. in my, as a cultural activist, I, I'm very much against the fact that, uh, that the whole Western system allows for people to get, few people to get richer and richer and 
a lot of people getting poorer and poorer, and mm. it's unsustainable. This is not going to work in the new uh, in the new world. You and I will be perhaps here around for another twenty years, but after that, <laughs> it's going to be chaos if this continues. Yeah. But what can we do f- from a cultural point of view? To no, no, that there's, no. a, there's equity and there's fairness, and that everybody is. So I, I am totally for. Um, the empowerment of young musicians. But the new funding system that they started now uh, in the last couple of years is… This is what you call the elephant in the room. That is the elephant in the room. And um, uh, and the elephant in the room, and for for the listeners of Fine Music Radio in Cape Town who ask questions about the the Mazonzi National Philharmonic Orchestra, Uh, they need to understand the politics and the finances behind it. Otherwise, we're going to be wiped out. Durban, Kozudinatal Orchestra Philharmonic is almost wiped out already. Uh, and the JPO is wiped up. They just, a, not a, I don't want to say a gig orchestra because it sounds, they're all freelance artists. Mm-hmm. They don't get protection. And the moment you, you, you don't um, uh, protect a few, a, a permanent group of players playing together with salaries and a regular income, um, you don't, uh, you'll end up having, putting ad hoc orchestras together that can do everything. They, you know, they get together for a week and they, they practice Marla Five and, uh, it, which is difficult, but in the end they only play the notes. Yes. And then, it's uh, it's because it's, it's students and the teachers who yeah. get together, they work very hard for a week and they play the notes. There's no music. There's no there's, interpretation. There's no real interpretation. And after a while, the audience don't pick it up anymore. They just, oh, well, this is Mala Five. Mm-hmm. That's it. They don't uh, know the difference between an Audrey just playing through the notes and a nuanced uh, performance that can be up there with any other city of our size in Europe. As has often happened with the Cape Town Orchestra, yeah. with a good conductor. Exactly. So, so this is a this has become a problem, and people don't understand it. In the end, less and less people start studying music because there's no work opportunities, and then the students get less, and eventually the teachers get less, and mm-hmm. eventually you sit with a with a, a pickup orchestra or a gig orchestra that comes together and just play together, and they can make the music, but the tradition is lost. Mm-hmm. Now, in a way, and there's no passion yeah. from the musicians themselves. Yeah. I, I I have I had one girl 23 years ago because I know that I'm. I'm not a perfect. I'm not a conductor. I'm not a, uh, a, a orchestra musician. I'm, I see myself a bit as a, as a cultural activist, and having had the opportunity to study both music uh, and journalism here and in uh, Stellenbosch and in, 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 the, uh, in the United States, I, I feel very privileged that I have the the vision from both both sides to understand how how to keep them alive and the role that they should play in society. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I've become a, more and more an activist because I understand how important it is that uh, we keep this financially uh, sustainable. With the new funding model that started in 28 already, just before COVID, uh, we lost that funding from, from the national government. And all the funding suddenly went to to one organization. That orchestra was kind of founded underhanded. I was part of that original task team because I could see what the minister, Nati Mutetra, the then minister of arts and culture, wanted to do. He wanted to empower young musicians. And he turned to me in that meeting and he said, well, but you guys never give us uh, uh, us." 
meaning people from pre, uh, unprivileged yes. backgrounds, the chance to play in your orchestras, they're too good. And I said, no, it takes time. It, it just takes 15 years to, to, of hard work, uh, having the right instrument, working hard to become proficient enough to play in the orchestra. Mm. So, and we were doing it already. In Cape Town, we, since 2004, we had the marvelous Cape Town uh, Youth uh, Philharmonic Orchestra. Which still and, goes yeah, strong. We still is going strong. And we've developed uh, people like Brandon Phillips. And I'm so proud of him. He, mm, he conducted now Swan Lake in Cape Town and Joburg <laughs> as a ballet conductor on a, on a world, almost in a world stage. Uh, and he's, he can do everything. And he developed. He started with our youth orchestra. He developed through our orchestra, and we gave him all the chances, and he took all those chances. Mm. And there are many young students, upcoming students from different communities now in the orchestras. We are the orchestras that can teach them. But if if the Mazanzi funding, putting all the money into one place, is as um, will, will bleed the orchestras, the regional orchestras dry. Okay, Louis, what I want to do is I want you to explain this new funding model and how it's affecting other orchestras because I know you wrote a very thought-provoking article uh, in Die Burger, uh, which has been translated in English as well. But before we get on to that, as you say, the elephant in the room, let's take one more piece of music. And what have you chosen now from our orchestra? At that same concert uh, with Dimitri Siskin, I sat with... Master Bernard Keller, and I say, okay, all the attention will be on Dimitri Siskin and the Rachmanin of Three. That's what the people come from. So we need a shorter piece um, that won't <laughs> take away the <laughs> the, uh, the impact and the all impact. of the Rachmanin So he said, let's do Beethoven Symphony Number no. Eight. It, it's almost never done. It's not that well known. For some other reason, it's kind of you know sort of <laughs> in the second drawer, yes. the, the top drawer of Beethoven <laughs> symphonies. And, you know, and it's the shorter symphony, and it's quite sort of jolly. It's, it's a wonderful piece. And, you know, Bernard came and he delivered a, a, sim- a simple, simplistic piece of Beethoven so beautifully that, uh, and we're going to listen to the, I've, I've chosen the first movement. Oh, good. Um, because of, of the duration. But at the end, I listened to the recording again recently, and at the end of, uh, of a Beethoven 8, two guys shout, Wow! <laughs> yes, just before, just before the, uh, was it you? No, <laughs> no, it wasn't me. <laughs> just before the the clapping started. Yeah. Now that is so exciting that for a normal uh, Beethoven symphony out of the second drawer, <laughs> some people might be quite unhappy that I say that. We can get that kind of reaction yes. from well, the audience. You can. In, yes, with the audience in. 2023, mm. that they get excited about something that's not very often performed, but the, the exuberance and the uh, sort of, of, a, of an or- a symphony orchestra without the bells and whistles. I mean, yeah. it's just a straightforward classical, classical symphony, orchestra yes. without all the extras and all the big brass instruments and, and uh, percussion. And that was so fascinating to me that we can do something simple and do it well. Thank you. 
I hear what you mean there, Louis, <laughs> with that shout at the end. That was the finale of the Symphony Number no. 8 by Beethoven with the Cape Town Philharmonic conducted by Bernard Gurler in a really marvelous performance and a marvelous conductor. We're very lucky to have him, uh, Louis, because just recently they did Tchaikovsky 2. And what struck me about that was, and this is so typical of Bernard, he doesn't play to the gallery. That's a crash-bang symphony, but he made it into a beautifully molded work, beautifully balanced, but with all the excitement, and I'm sure you agree. Yeah, we are lucky indeed. Louis Heinemann, who's the CEO and Artistic Director of the Cape Town Philharmonic, is with me. We were talking about the elephant in the room, and I mentioned uh, a column that you wrote for a newspaper, which is quite outspoken. You say, the CEO of the Mzanzi Orchestra and his three selected committee members who do not represent the orchestral sector hold the future of the country's orchestras in their hands without subjecting a long-term operational plan or the actual costs of concerts and additional travel and accommodation to public scrutiny. That's quite a, a sort of an accusation, but it seems to me to be true. Rodney, yes. I think uh, I've told you I kept quiet for a, for a year. We tried to work behind the scenes with politicians, and it, it was not successful. I've written a 103-page uh, affidavit, which is lying since the beginning of the year with the Speaker of the of Parliament, and they sort of promised a uh, discussion uh, in Parliament about it, or at least at the Portfolio Committee, and also it's lying with the Auditor General. And but you know things are happening so slowly in this country, mm -hmm. uh, so that I've decided to publish this article uh, in in. Media 24, as well as it was published in, in uh, the Daily Maverick. It's important that under my own name, I should come out and and and, right. um, yeah, yeah. and really address the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. The problem is, I do understand that there must be empowerment of, of young musicians all over the country. And also, but in a d democracy, there must be inclusivity. All the role players and all the stakeholders should be consulted how, what is the best way. Um, and in this uh, consultation process, they originally put a task team together. I was asked to be part of that task team, but we never got to do anything uh, because we should have spoken to people in uh, music and in the academy and at uh, NPOs, professional orchestras, all over. It never happened. In an underhanded way, and everybody thought because of COVID it didn't happen, but under an underhand way, one person went with the, the convener, went to the department, gave him a, a, a sort of a business plan that none of, none of us have approved or seen, a business plan to suit himself, and, um, and started and, and the, the whole orchestra was constituted with a, a chairman, and, and the chairman is, is Judge Leonard Tron. Uh, all people with with uh, reputations on, on on that board, but I don't think they really understand the, the issues. So there must be equity, and at the moment there isn't equity, and there must be practical solutions. I do understand that if they want to empower young people, then um, they. Uh, must get everybody involved. But it's not practical to say somebody in Pitsonovater, because they pay tax, must have the same access to classical music and teaching and training as, say, in Cape Town. It's not possible. In the old days, they divided the money between Joburg and, and Durban and, so, and Cape Town. 
they already left out Bloemfontein, who's got an excellent center of, of, of musicians and, uh, and a music mm, school. Yes, yes. And uh, Eastern Cape Kiberka was also sort of left out. And there's a lot of things happening uh, on the music scene. But at least the three major centers had some resources and to keep the orchestra alive. The problem is that if you don't have the core orchestra, people who found work, who can work for the orchestra, then the eventually you put an orchestra together from uh, students uh, and um, sort of ad hocish, ad hocish, yeah. and and the quality is not the same, and yeah. the and that's what happened in Joburg and in 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 Durban. Uh, Joburg has been the JPO has been playing as ad hoc mm. freelance musicians for for more than a decade. Yeah. They take every work they can get. Now, don't take uh, get me wrong. Every single person who played in the six concerts so far, the six official concerts that they gave, they only came uh, last year and they did the three Beethoven's in Durban and Johannesburg and Cape Town. And then now this August they did the uh, Mahler Five years yeah. in, in, in uh, Quebecha and um, Cape Town and Johannesburg. Yeah. At tremendous cost. I don't begrudge any of the players who they've asked but they they were asked with there was no merit they were just asked to make up a team a whole bunch of players uh, professional players that work for a week of course they can play the notes again yes that's you, as you yeah, say yeah. but it's but, not but, a cohesive yeah, orchestra it's not a cohesive orchestra with its own sound and, and if they where do they live if they tra- if they travel uh, and i'm not talking about the travel costs the, the accommodation the s&t uh, per diems the, the uh, and the travel cost of a large orchestra uh, which is none related to music. It's, so music, money meant for music, uh, is now used for all those extra things. But they can't teach. They can't help. It is the regional orchestras who should do the teaching. Mm. Who As has been proved by the yeah, CPO. Yeah. And should start the youth orchestra and give people opportunity to play every every week, every weekend in an ensemble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as they get better, start being a cadet in the main orchestra and getting a bit of pocket money for their studies or for whatever. So, uh, that is the way they get uh, experience in an orchestra. That's the way you teach. The universities have got an extremely important role. They to to the academic the academic training, we do it as well. But the universities are the uh, the tertiary institutions, especially are that are the major contributors to 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 music education. But higher education, the Department of Higher Education, gets billions to the universities, and then they decide whether it should go into engineering or art, uh, visual arts, or or music or whatever. Uh, so they get it already. Now, this is what we call double dipping. The 32 or 40, 34 million that's now available annually. First year it was 54 because there was a standover from COVID. Now it's 34. Money that was available is now, uh, that, that pie is now cut up, goes to one person or one group and, and with, with three helpers who has got no experience of orchestras and one of them sits in the Western Cape and I'm sorry to say that I, I totally disagree that she has, has become part of this so, so-called selection committee. At a random base, they dish out 
without research, without people applying and without specific criteria, they dish out to the universities and to other institutions who are, pay, who are funded already. They give out the money because they realize they, cannot, they can't travel around the country, this one orchestra travel around the country and do the, the teaching and do the because you need to see people every week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so now they randomly give out all these amounts and they pay pay a fortune in, in propaganda in printed material up to the, for this last concert in uh, of the Mana Five in, in Cape Town. They had on three consecutive weeks they had they paid for full page ads in the Sunday newspapers. Report carried without indicating that it's actually advertorial, paid for by you on my tax money. Mm-hmm. They paid propaganda and they published it. Uh, so of the success of this of this wonderful orchestra and how good they are, that is not uh, how the money should be spent. Also dishing out money to universities is, is, is a fine thing, but with with who, whose authority and 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 did they really do a, a research project on who needs the money where should it go shouldn't they spend the money in Petsonavater with three kids there that wants to learn music yeah. uh, we know, need to know so accountability is extremely important uh, and practical solutions and we could have had that if they they uh, didn't go ahead with this funding model without consulting anybody and that's my main gripe it's good to know you call yourself a cultural warrior which is good to know someone like you is out there fighting because i mean imzanzi can't actually accuse you of sour grapes they offered you a fair amount of money didn't they and you turned it down because you were not prepared to accept money that was not shall we say clean and uh, transparent is that how Rodney, did that work? They offered us 3.2 million uh, in in December last year. And I happened to know because he needed to get all the money out of that account as soon as possible. So he just went randomly to the three major orchestras and he made a list and he said, we didn't apply for the money. We didn't, there were, there were no criteria. And he just said uh, 3.2 million to each of the three major orchestras. Two of them happened to be <laughs> under his supervision. He was CEO and receiving salaries from th- two of those. Mm. So we said, no, this is, there's no transparency. We can't be part of, of anything like this. Uh, and uh, there might be indications that if they return that decision, that everybody will be called to book. We thought it was corrupt. We still believe that, and we will not be part of any kind of corruption mm-hmm. out of princi- on, on, in, in principle. So we, we refused the money. Of course, we, we need it, but we refused it on principle. I noticed until recently, or still, he's, in all his presentations, it says that we received the money. Now, I want to know where is that money if we didn't receive it? How do they cook the books to show who got that money? Mm-hmm. 3.2 million is a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, so, so that's. So, will, Louis, just let me get this straight talking about the elephant in the room, which we have. And you certainly make really good points because I remember being also slightly bewildered when this was announced that it was coming through. Bearing in mind that it's not really a traveling orchestra, yeah. you can't call yourself a traveling orchestra if you go once a year. But your problem is the accountability, the transparency. That is the biggest issue. Uh, And also, they are not going to be able to fulfill their role as a training orchestra. You need an orchestra like the Cape Town Philharmonic, which has an offshoot like the Cape Town Youth Philharmonic. 
and the opportunity for yeah. children to come and look at the orchestra. And you go out to schools regularly, don't you? Yes. Yeah, I resented that the uh, the management of that orchestra say they the Springbok team of of <laughs> South Africa <laughs> yeah, as, as far as orchestra is concerned. Yeah. Uh, who chose them? How did they decide? They use the same people over and over again and they have all these overseas uh, South African musicians living and working abroad that they invite out astronomical cost so the taxpayer is paying for something and there's no accountability at the moment we go we in the process of doing a paya request so that we get that information we need to see how the money was spent even if we from time to time get a wonderful conductor like Marin also uh, came the first time um, we will need to see where she fits in why does it and what part of the money goes out of the country it doesn't go to, towards developing skills right here. So um, the accountability is our biggest problem. The second biggest problem is, or maybe the biggest problem really, is it will bleed uh, the the other three orchestras, the main orchestras. And we had three good orchestras, in, in, at least in Durban and Cape Town and, and in Johannesburg. It will bleed us dry. We, we weren't, it's not sustainable. In the first place, it's not sustainable to have a couple of concerts per year and spend millions and millions and then dish out randomly to universities because you can't do the training. So the whole funding model is wrong. It's not sustainable. And that is the biggest problem. We will, like any other small area, we will have uh, uh, not a permanent orchestra in Cape Town. People won't find permanent work. My biggest mission over the last 23 years was to make sure the concert halls in South in Cape Town is alive and bustling. This people want to go to concerts, mm. and you must admit they do. Go on a on a Thursday night yes. to the city hall. It's it's full. It's people are shouting. Um, they stand up. Okay, in Europe they won't give standing <laughs> ovations, but it's fantastic. That yeah, of people, course. People is. are so enthusiastic yeah. that they and stand so up and they the shout. Orchestra. Exactly, and that's what that's what keep an orchestra culture alive. Mm -hmm. And from the orchestra culture in the middle, all the chamber music and all the other things can happen. Opera can happen. Ballet can happen. So it's a much bigger industry that that will implode. If this orchestra becomes just a, a gigs orchestra or just a, a bunch of people playing together. And also, Louis, your orchestra is very busy. Just earlier this month, they were working on the opening symphony concert as the season began every weekday with all the rehearsals. There's, there was Tales of Hoffman at UCT, and there was Tosca here at the Artscape. So that keeps an orchestra pretty busy. Yeah, well, the variety concert on a Friday night. The next night we did the Artscape Youth uh, concerto oh, yes, yeah, concert. Olympics, yeah. Then the Monday morning we started with a with <laughs> a symphony concert. The Monday afternoon we started with the Tosca Reed, and the evening we did the um, I think the Zitzprobe for for uh, Tales of Hoffman. And uh, so five different productions in six seven days. That is a bit of a record. It is absolutely. <laughs> and as you, one of the nicest things you said. And I suppose I should have been more um, objective here, but unfortunately I agree with what you're saying uh, with these problems. And we're going to have to end, but one of the – your closing paragraph in this article you wrote are that there are so many talented young musicians who dream of playing full-time in one of the excellent orchestras in South Africa someday. Their chances are becoming fewer and fewer. The Mzanzi National Orchestra is destroying the orchestral culture in South Africa – 
all metropolitan areas will lose their functioning quality orchestras. That's quite a statement for you to make. Yes, and I honestly believe that. You know, um, if you if you don't really fight for something and guard for something, it 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 will not automatically continue or sustain be sustainable. I, can I just mention one big uh, interesting eye opener for me? Mm. Uh, the mayor is, is, has asked us to play for a concert where he wants to promote uh, the, the restoration of the Cape Town City Hall organ, a fabulous uh, instrument, untouched, one of the last remaining Edwardian organs mm. um, in, in, in the Southern Hemisphere or perhaps in the world. Yeah. It's a magnificent yes, instrument. Gosh. Uh, we will need millions and millions yeah. for that, and people will have to understand because in all the big orchestral works, you, you need that organ sound with, with it, and it's perfectly designed for that acoustics. One of the engineers, apparently, at, in, in, city hall, at, in the city said, oh, no, he sees a much better option. Decommission the organ and just keep the pipes uh, as a, in a sort of a, oh. a, a the, the pipes as a sort of a, a decoration in the city hall. <laughs> no, you're joking. If, <laughs> if I know who he is, give that man a ball because he's <laughs> the most visionless man that I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this is the kind of ignorance that, you, that, that can happen overnight yeah. if we don't guard and fight for this all the time. Well, Louis, you're not allowed to retire now for sure <laughs> until all this is sorted out. And all strength to your arm as you tackle as a cultural warrior. But now what are we going to end with? We've had rather little music. Yes, I'm afraid so. I I chose something, uh, well, as merciless <laughs> and very exciting <laughs> yes. and very modern. Sostakovich, Symphony Number no. 5. Ah. We played it recently under G- Bernard Giller. And the last movement is, is really a fighting spirit. The whole orchestra, <laughs> all the bells and whistles <laughs> come to the fore and, and they really make a big noise and a big sound. But it's exciting and it's interesting to watch the audience um, who was not really ac- uh, accustomed to uh, uh, Sostakovich, mm-hmm. how they really enjoy this kind of 20th century music yeah. uh, with all the dissonant calls. They loved it. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the ones where they shouted and yeah. screamed and I stamped absolutely, and stood. Yes. Well, that's a wonderful way to end. Thanks, Louis, for being very honest and upfront, uh, nailing your colors to the mast, as it were, and all strength to your arm. My guest was Louis Heinemann, the CEO and Artistic Director of the Cape Town Philharmonic. And here is the Philharmonic playing Shostakovich.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions.